everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brooks Forsyth. Hey, everyone. Brad Large. Hey, how's it going? Petra Manos. Hey, how are you going? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, uh, Mark Summy. Hey, everybody. Less Accounting provides a reliable, dedicated bookkeeper along with project manager to ensure that your business finances are crystal clear and up to date. How are your profits this month? How much are you making on the services or products sold? How much money is left over for yourself to invest back in your business? What's your debt situation like? Are your products selling? Do you have an emergency fund? Those kinds of questions are the things that Less Accounting software and team can answer anytime within minutes. You'll have a real human categorize your transactions. The software platform provides the ability to auto-import and auto-categorize transactions. You can create proposals and invoices in it, and they have 20-plus reports that you can use to figure out where you're at. So go check them out, lessaccounting.com. Uh, Mark, do you want to introduce yourself, let people know who you are, why you're important and famous and all that good stuff? <laughs> yeah, love to. So... Um... My name is Mark Summy. I run a SaaS company called Minute 7, and we do time and expense tracking for small businesses. Um, yeah, I've been running the business for, for two and a half years, and I have kind of a, a winding road to, uh, to entrepreneurship. I mm -hmm. started out uh, working on much different things, but sort of had my eye on, on running my own business and eventually, eventually got there. Nice. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about as far as like running your own business and things like that. But, you know, for the freelancer crew, I think most of them are going to be at least um, initially more interested in the time tracking. Okay. So I I'm curious as we jump in, I mean, what time tracking seems kind of simple, right? Start yeah. timer, stop timer, record time. Mm -hmm. um, I found that it's deceptively not that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, right. oh, well, I spent time on this and I spent time on that and how much can I bill and stuff like that. Right. So are, are there good guidelines for A, how to track time and B, what to track? Yeah. So I think the way we think about, like we start, when we think about time tracking, we're really focused on like what our customers need and what their problem is. And, and the problem that we're trying to solve is that, you know, most people before they use software to track time, they're using paper or a spreadsheet. And then they're having to manually input that data into another system for billing purposes or maybe payroll purposes. So really our, our software is like a workflow software. And so the things we focus on are, you know, I guess to start, who, who are we not focused on? So we're, we're not focused on sort of that retail customer, sort of the person that's sort of, uh, you know, working at a factory or, or working at a retail shop and like clocking in and clocking out. That's who we're not focused on, which is a large part of the market. There's a lot of time trackers that are, are geared on that. They have hardware, you know, where they're coming in and maybe they're using a thumbprint to, uh, to show that they're at a location or they have some sort of GPS tracking on their phone that they're trying to log exactly where they are when they, they clock in. And that's not what, what we're focused on. So really, what we're focused on is for people that want to track time to get paid, either they're trying to get, they're an employee of a company. So they're just logging their hours so that they want to get paid. And it's a non-retail environment. It's sort of a professional services environment, or it's a freelancer. Like, like we've talked about where, you know, I'm 
billing someone a hundred dollars an hour and I want to get paid for that time. And so the things I care about in that situation are, I want it to be really easy to use. You know, we have a, a desktop app that people can log their time and, and manage it there. We have a mobile app uh, where they can log their time there. But the, the interface of that is, uh, is where the, I guess the complications come in, uh, Chuck. So it's like, how quickly can they enter the time and get back to work? No one, no one likes time tracking. <laughs> uh, it's just sort of a required thing to get paid. Um, so that we're really focused on trying to make it as easy as possible for them to log that time and then get back to work. Um, and then from there, the, the other complication is integrating it with, with billing services. So uh, QuickBooks is the largest accounting software system in the U.S. If you track some of the data that they share in like their earnings calls, their QuickBooks Online product, which you know five or ten years ago had thousands of users, now has I think north of four million uh, users use QuickBooks Online, um, and a lot of people are using that for for billing. So they're using it to send invoices and get paid. So our integration with QuickBooks is a is a key part of that. They already are paying for that QuickBooks product, and we're just a a plug into that that system so they can track their time and, and get paid. Chuck asked a really good question there, actually, that um, I'm interested in digging a bit deeper in with regards to um, how to tell what you should be billing for and what you shouldn't be billing for. Um, I actually find sometimes that when I'm doing R&D, but it's client-specific, I'm trying to solve a specific problem and, and I'm doing a bit of research around it, um, or when I'm doing account management type activities where I'm stuck in my email all day, I don't really know how much of that time to bill for. I mean, I know that practically I should be charging for, and, and, and I know actually we discuss um, quite often whether to do hourly billing or, or not, but some of us are still billing based on time. So, mm -hmm. um, so it is still worth discussing, but um, uh, like, ugh. How, how do we even know whether uh, whether some of our time should be billable or not or whether it should be considered administrative or R&D and really should be um, internally absorbed? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, although, pro you know, freelancers use our product, I'm, I'm not a freelancer. I think the way I would think about it, though, I guess in your in your situation, it's sort of like what kind of agreement do you have with with your customer? You know, you want to make sure that your scope of work that you sort of lay out before you engage on the product matches what you're doing. So if you're you said you're going to build them an hourly rate to do something, and the task that you're working on is related to that scope of work, then I would imagine it's billable, and and you should be tracking that for billing purposes. Um, but I think it is also an important thing to keep track of your non-billable hours. Like if it's outside the scope of your work, it, it tells you, it gives you a sense for like how the margin of what you're doing. Like if you're doing like we, when you're creating a timesheet in our system, you can mark a task as billable or not billable. And then you can review that when the project is done and get, get a sense of, you know, was the majority of the time I spent on this project billable or not billable. And if it, it was not billable, if a lot of time was not billable, I, I would, you'd probably want to review kind of what you're agreeing to with the client and 
how you should be getting paid for more of that time or changing the scope of the work so that you're not spending so much time on, on non-billable stuff. Um, but again, I'm not a freelancer. So if, if anyone else has, has comments on that, it's just sort of my, my perspective from the product side. I think that that gets into like the ethics and a huge gray area there with hourly billing, which is something that, you know, uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons that I kind of want to get off of hourly billing. In fact, in the next, uh, two months, I have a plan to transition, uh, the couple hourly clients that I have now off of it simply for that fact. It, it's, it's kind of like when you're a developer, if you're doing like a uh, data load, right. And the data load takes 15 minutes and you're like, well, I can't really work on something else. I can't get started. At, then I don't think that most developers, they're, they're just going to chalk that up to my time was spent doing this and, and bill it. And, and maybe there are some people out there that are like super purists and wouldn't, but then if a day load is taking, like say you have just insanely large data sets, you write a script that's going to upload all those data sets over the course of three hours. Are you allowed to bill for that three hours? I mean, that, that to me, that's like a gray area with R and D and things like that. I think you just kind of have to, um, you know, you, you kind of have to build that trusting relationship, I think up front and, and be upfront about that. But at the same time, you know, your client's probably not going to care unless their expectation of what they're paying you and the uh, value or the results of what you're delivering are a huge mismatch, right? They're not going to get too upset if, if they get a bill. They're going to get upset if they get, uh, you know, a bill that's bigger than expected and they didn't get the results they were expecting. So that's where, you know, the ethics of it and morality of it, I think, is kind of like that gray area because, you know, who's, who's to say what's right or wrong in that situation um, I think that there are arguments both ways. So I yeah, never charge I, for that R and D personally. Like when I'm when I'm doing R and D around a, a problem, I, I use my client's problem as more of a template for my own exploration. And then see, I'm I'm doing analytics reporting and um, you know Google Ads. So it, it depends on obviously what your topic is. But if I have an idea for a new way to analyze and interpret and report data in a way that's going to be really useful for a client. Um, and I do so because a client has a particular problem. I'm coming from it with the perspective that later I'll be able to use that with other clients. So I'm not, I don't build the client for that time, but what I will do is um, if I have done it for a particular client, when, once I've worked out how to do it, then I will, and I write down a procedure as to how to do it. And then if we do it again for that client, then I'll, I'll build them in, but I'll show them the report that I created for them. And I'll say, Hey, you know, I was um, experimenting with this and, and this is the um, findings that we had. So I will still share the findings with the client, but I don't personally build that time out to them. If I know it's R and D just because I'm, I'm detracting time away from time that would have been spent on activities that we'd already agreed upon. That's funny because uh, you, you both have kind of spoken up in favor of kind of eating the R&D time. And uh, every time that I had taken a client that had some portion of what I was doing that I didn't know how to do, I just told them up front that, hey, look, these are the things I don't know how to do or that I haven't done before or, you know, that, that has some risk. And then I just limit the risk. And so essentially I would say, look, 
I'm going to have to spend some time figuring out how to do this, this, and this. Um, and I will bill you up to five hours while I figure it out. And if it takes me longer than that, then it's my fault. And I deal with it that way. But also uh, in the case where you have like a fixed cost for clients, you know, where you just bid a project, right? And you do the project-based bidding, uh, which we talked about uh, an episode or two ago. Um, on those, I still tracked my time. And that way, if because what I like to do is I liked to get the same kinds of projects over and over again so that I, you know, I knew what I was doing. I knew what it would cost. And that gave me a really good idea of the next time I was bidding on a project like that. It was, okay, it turned out that my target was making $200 an hour and I only made 150. So I know that I need to expand, you know, my time horizon and also account for, okay, I know how to do these couple of things now that I didn't know how to do last time and try and make an educated adjustment on the time frame. So either way, you know, the, the time tracking does make sense. But yeah, I always build for the R&D time um, because I think I only had a couple of instances where it took me longer than that five-hour chunk. And I limited it to the things that I told them specifically I was going to have to figure out. I couldn't agree more if it's a grade scope. So in the, in the example that I was talking about, it was scope that I had invented myself. More of a, but as an idea when I came across a client problem. But if it's a grade scope, I do exactly what you're doing, Chuck. See, that's kind of why I like working on a framework. Like <clears throat> Salesforce platform is great because, you know, it's, it's, a fr- like, it's a platform. It does certain things. So once I learn how to build reports, I can do that. And then other people will find value in there. So, you know, by, uh, by understanding how long it takes me to do something the first time, uh, that's great. I track my time on how long it takes me to do things. But one of the reasons that, uh, you know, like I, I just strive to find the value for that person and then charge accordingly. Or if it's something like reports, if there are several reports that they want a package of, then I can say, okay, I'll give you this many reports and it's going to be a thousand dollars. They don't care that it takes me two hours to create 10 reports for them. They're just happy that it's done and they get their reports the next day and they get to use those reports for the next five years and, you know, it it helps their sales process. So I I think it's interesting. Um, And, you know, Chuck, to your point, that's every single software developer, if you're doing any kind of custom code, your job is R&D. Your job is figuring to a certain extent some of that stuff out. So there are always little pieces like that. And, uh, but yeah, I think that's part of the reason that uh, I kind of got sold early on. I'm trying to get away from hourly billing and for straight up, you want my opinion and you want to try to fit stuff into a certain hour time frame. Sure. I, you know, I've been letting people um, contact me, pay up front for that kind of time. But, um, you know, as I said, I'm trying to get completely away from that just because, you know, it, it just kind of feels weird. To, to have to pick and choose what which pieces of consulting or coaching or training or you know how I'm going to charge that. Yeah, as far as billing for R and D, I think you should, and and I think that's because you know you, you learn a new skill, and then the next client you're able to do that job quicker for them. So your current client didn't pay for your past experiences, right? So if, if that makes sense. I think you have to build for R&D, especially when it comes to software development. Maybe not so much 
making reports or analytics where it's more um, a smaller scope of project and, um, you know, you're doing more, I don't want to say repetitive because I don't know, but maybe more repetitive tasks, you know, the same type of report for each client. Yeah. So as far as tracking time, I mean, this was always the thing that I was bad at, right? Remembering to hit start and hit stop. Um, Mark, do you have a good way of doing that or, you know, keeping track of that? Um, well, actually, our, our interface is designed so that people don't hit start and stop. It's actually, you just enter the hours worked. Um, okay. So, yeah, the, we, I don't know, the, the, I guess primarily for that reason that people often forget. You can use the timer, but if you like log in, the, the paid, the timesheet that you're brought to is just a duration field. So you just type in the hours worked. And if you want to run a timer, you can. I don't know. I'm curious, actually, from your perspective, if if customers care about like seeing a start time and end time, or if they just want to see the total hours worked, do that like if you were to send an invoice, do they want like they started at nine thirty five a.m. and stopped at ten fifteen, or do they just care that you worked fifty minutes? My experience is they just care that you worked yeah fifty minutes, and occasionally what you worked on, they want you know. With development, everything's split up into tickets usually, so they want like a list of tickets that you worked on. Yeah. yeah, some of them sometimes wanted it broken down by task, right? You spent yeah. two hours on this and six hours on this. But that was the usually the um, the clients that I had that were much more technical, and so they had some idea in their head as to how long it should even take. Yeah. Any of the non-technical folks, the number next to the task, it didn't mean anything unless they thought for whatever reason that it ought to be really simple. Yeah, yeah. they tracked that for burn down and for for other, you know, project management metrics on software development. But yeah, most I, I don't necessarily think that the uh, you know, whoever you're billing to necessarily cares, but the project management and software team might want to know what they're you know, their points rates and burn down and all that looks like. Is the start and end time important for that burn down or is it still just duration though? Do they, like if you have a real time. It's mostly duration, I think, to, yeah. to Chuck and Brooks point. I mean, it's, that's, if you wanted to know people's start and end time, you just have them work on site. You wouldn't be doing like remote work really. Yeah. And like, I think it's sort of a legacy thing from like retail where people yeah. do the start time and end time because they want to Yeah, right, exactly. I feel yeah. the opposite in, well, not that I, I never share my timesheets with clients. So the, the actual start time and end time doesn't matter from the client's perspective. I very, very rarely, it, it would only be if I was subcontracting for some reason, which I don't do much anymore. Um, however, I find that using the start stop button is really helpful because I'm working on multiple clients concurrently. And at one time I might be working with 30 different accounts. And so I'm not necessarily doing a chunk of exactly eight hours on, on any particular account. I'm, I'm doing small spurts on each one. And then because I'm doing a lot of the account management and I've got a virtual assistant that helps me with day-to-day -day implementation, I'm actually spending a lot of my time in my inbox responding to inquiries and things 
And so for me, I'll be using that start stop button and I'll be logging periods of time that are, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, six minutes. And all those little bits of time add up when you've got lots of inquiries from clients. I find that I get quite a lot in my inbox. So yeah, over the course of a couple of days, those little six minute spurts turn into 60 minutes. And, and that's one of the pains when it comes to, you know, tracking that time because you end up with all these little entries, but I actually find that really helpful. And there are times though when I forget to uh, click start and stop. Um, it happens all the time because, you know, we're human. And so normally I would um, kind of estimate when, when I think I started that task and I'll do it manually because I know that my ethics are good in that I'm only charging for um, or I'm only tracking time that is real. Um, the actual time that I track isn't necessarily the time that I'm charging because a lot of my projects are fixed price anyway. But um, I, you know, as long as I know that my ethics are in the right place, I'll, I'll go through and I'll manually edit times if I forget to press start or stop. But generally I'm clicking start, stop all the time. And I do um, teach my VAs, to do the same as well. Although whether or not they use that feature, I'm not sure. What are you using to hit start and stop? Oh, I use Clockify personally. Okay. I is, that a, use, is that a um, plugin on your, in your like in Chrome or what is, what is the interface that you use? Oh, so it's a, it's a web app. So is okay. yours a web app as well? It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I used to use Hubstaff as well, but um, because I'm working with um, VAs, I found Hubstaff too expensive because you have to pay for a block of five users. Mm -hmm. And then when I brought VAs on, I would then have to pay um, like an increased fee, which didn't necessarily, like it, it hurt my, my pocket a bit because I was working with part-timers. So, um, so at Clockify, um, I, I ended up just um, using the free one for a bit, but in the end, I ended up um, upgrading to the professional one, which I can't remember how much it, it costs and, and what the, um, you know, obviously people need to, to look into their own, um, the, the pricing of all the different ones. So I don't know how it compares in pricing with yours, but I ended up upgrading it because I wanted my admin VA to be able to edit other people's timesheets there were some of my VAs that would forget to put their, their timesheet in and I'd be using a VA for just a short-term project for something and then they'd forget to put it in and that would be really annoying. I'd be, I'd be having to um, import from, um, from Upwork and it would just be a pain. So, yeah, so, so we end up upgrading it. Got it. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get cancelled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. Yeah, I, I a few other things I'm going to throw in here. One is is the Upwork. If you use their time tracking, it'll actually 
like take snapshots of the screen and stuff. So if I'm the person subcontracting, I found that pretty useful because if I felt like somebody might be padding their hours, of course, if I feel that way about you, I'm probably going to wind up letting you go just because I don't trust you. But I could go verify, right? I could go look and okay, you know, they're doing the work. They're just slow or they're, you know, they're doing these extra things that I need them to not do. And so then I can change my perspective and realize, okay, maybe I can trust them. I just need to teach them better. Um, the other one that I've used, I've used a couple of them. One of them is um, Harvest and sure. Harvest does invoicing and time tracking. Yep. And so there are a few systems that do both. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, then it's sort of built in. Um, and they had some nice little widget. And I can't remember if it was its own app or if it was a browser extension or what, but you were able to start them there. And then one other one that I'm going to throw out there as far as just, you know, the stop, stop and start of time. Um, I probably ought to grab it. I'll grab it here in a second. And I'll show, I'll hold it up for the panel, even though this is an audio podcast. But essentially what it is, is it looks like, um, if you've played D&D, it looks like a 10-sided die. So it has the uh, pentagonal, pentagon sides on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a kind of a ball and you can put stickers or you can write in white, uh, whiteboard dry erase marker on it um, on the different faces of it and then when you move on to another task you just pick it up and turn it and so you know if you if you're taking a break to go to the bathroom then you you know you turn it to that and then when you're you know you come back and you're going to answer email you turn it to the email and things like that and and that's kind of an interesting way to do it because then what you can do is you can go on to your mobile phone and you look and say okay I spent you know because you can put different clients on there too and so then, okay, I spent six hours working on this client's stuff, right? And when I transition to another client, I just turn it over. Does it keep track on your mobile phone? Is it like hooked up or somehow? Or? Yeah, it connects via Bluetooth to your phone. Oh, okay. And I think it remembers, like if, if your phone's in the other room, it'll remember a few days worth and then you can sync it up. If you can't decide what to do next, do you ever roll it across the uh, floor or anything like that? I was just, I was like, that's I have not awesome. done that. Anyway, it's called flip time. <laughs> oh. And uh, I haven't put any of the stickers on it, but. I'm curious, Petro, when you, when you're using Clockify, how do you go from the, the time to the invoice? Is the Clockify have an invoice feature or how do you, how do you get to that? Uh, see, I didn't usually um, bill hourly. So okay. I usually bill as um, fixed price or as retainers. Um, there, are, there are some pro- projects where I will bill hourly and I don't, I, I don't usually invoice directly from Clockify um, because I, I actually, oh, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a data nut. So I usually, I I actually like to work from a spreadsheet because I like to import data from my spreadsheet into data studio for my own business metrics. So I actually export everything into a spreadsheet. I've got a project management spreadsheet and then I use formulas to, um, you know, work out different metrics based on you know, all the different things that I've exported. And I, I also import that data into Data Studio to create project management graphs. And, um, and then when I do my invoicing, I base it on my project management spreadsheet. And I, I hook in with um, just that I've just got a separate 
uh, invoicing app so I, um, that hooks in with my bookkeeping. So I use Myob. It's probably an Australian one. And, um, and then my admin virtual assistant helps me with that. We, we just go from my spreadsheet straight into invoicing in Myob. So, yeah, my process is a little bit more convoluted, but I really like business data and I like to be able to map it out in different ways. So for me, having more details is helpful. Got it. And sorry, which, uh, which accounting system do you have it integrated with? Oh, it's called Myob. I'd say that it would be Australian only. It's M-Y-O-B and it means um, mind your own business. <laughs> nice. It's rude. <laughs> That's so, not what I've heard of. Like Australia, I know is sort of like a, has a concentration of like accounting software. It's sort of, you guys are a, a leader in that. <laughs> you sort of have, have a abundance of uh, SaaS apps in and around like accounting and finance and Oh, we've got a whole bunch of them. Um, yep. Probably the one that I will, I'm planning to integrate with um, in the future is it's called Xero. So sure. X-E-R-O, it's the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and it integrates with a whole lot of different apps and you can set up automations with it and things. Um, I, I ended up going with the Myob one because it was a bit cheaper at the beginning. So I ended up just setting up with that one, but apparently um, Xero has the ability to import Myob data. And um, there's also, there's, there's other accounting software here. There's one called Recon as well, which is quite popular. I actually use that one for personal bookkeeping rather than business because I started tracking personal expenses lately. Um, it's, it's much cheaper than the others, but um, for, for business, I, I, I don't want to try a new software other than maybe moving over to zero. Yeah. But I don't know how many you've got over in the US. Those are the, I'm sure there's others here, but those are the three that I know of. They're, the, they're probably the bigger ones. Yeah, I think on a global, from a global perspective, zero is like the second largest accounting system for small businesses. And if you look at like a map, it's kind of interesting. So at least for people like me who care about this stuff. <laughs> the, uh, like if, I think I threw out a stat of like, uh, if you look at, and I'm gonna use round numbers, but like uh, small businesses that use accounting system in the US, it's like QuickBooks absolutely dominates. It's like 4 million plus accounts and zero has been trying to penetrate without much success. They have like a few hundred thousand. And then the opposite is true outside the US. So zero is, absolutely dominant in like New Zealand, Australia and QuickBooks has had no success getting in there. And then Europe is kind of up for grabs a little bit. It's very much, it's much more fragmented where there's no, I mean, Sage is there, but Sage has like a legacy desktop product and has moved to the cloud, but is sort of slowly moving there. Not as quickly as QuickBooks, you know, QuickBooks had a legacy desktop product and has really ramped up their cloud product. So both Zero and um, and QuickBooks are sort of, so I think they've sort of they're trying to get into each other's markets, but also kind of trying to grab the European market, the small business market is uh, is up for grabs a little bit. So uh, are you looking to integrate with other? Right now it's yeah. just QuickBooks, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of our roadmap, like we we definitely have Zero as the the next accounting system we would integrate with, just from a size perspective. It, so like we're, we're part of the uh, QuickBooks ecosystem. 
which is a pretty good like if you're if you have like a SaaS app it just because of the growth of quickbooks we get to ride that wave right there's just more increasingly more users and we're we get to benefit from that and i think the if we were to look at the globe and be like hey what's the next largest accounting system zero would be the next so that's uh something we're hoping to to have an integration with this this year i didn't even realize that zero wasn't local <laughs> i didn't realize it had gone international but um oh, it, yeah. Zero. I'm just looking it up. Zero was founded in um, in Wellington, and I actually thought that it was that they had um they had a development team here in Adelaide for a while too, I believe. So I was thinking it was just a like an Australian thing, but obviously they're a lot bigger than that than I realize. I'm not really up with um all the accounting software. Yeah, I wouldn't expect anyone to really care about this stuff unless you're trying to sell and or integrate with these people. But. Yeah, Zero is a big success story out of out of that area. I mean, it's publicly traded and it's been a huge success. So I, I kind of want to talk about SaaS for a minute, but before we get there, one other thing I just want to throw in is um, I, I think, and, and we got into a little bit of this with the R&D discussion, but a few other things I just want to make sure people are aware of. So when I have billed hourly, when I'm billing for my time, um, a lot of times people don't bill for phone calls, they don't bill for emails. They don't bill for meetings. They don't bill for a lot of these things. And that's time worked on that project. So unless it's specifically understood that you shouldn't be billing for that, make sure that you're putting that on your timesheet. Um, I've, uh, I've actually had clients get upset with me. It's like, you billed me four hours for meetings. And I was like, yeah, because I was working on your project. And, you know, and so then we'd have to have a conversation. And usually the conversation ended with, all right, well, we'll make sure that the meetings are straight to the point and, you know, and we're not wasting so much time. You know, it's, I mean, it's your time, right? That's what you're getting paid for, whether you're doing it project-based or time-based. And so I want to make sure that people understand that that's something you can and should be uh, billing for. Yeah, that's something that I've built into my uh, my processes. I actually, on, on the calls that I would bill hourly, people will send me the, the situation or issue that they're running into. And then, uh, you know, I'll review it just shortly before the call. And so I kind of bake that into the rate of the call because that's just a way for us to spend time on the call, you know, working on that kind of stuff. But people will often uh, like email me other issues and things like that after, which if it's quick, then, you know, you, you've got to, as a freelancer, there are some times where you're like, okay, this person's paying me X amount of dollars. I can answer this question or whatever. But then it starts getting into this gray area of, you know, at what point do you cut that person off and draw a hard line? And, and it becomes an issue because that person then, you know, comes to expect that. Uh, so, you know, to get away from that, I'm just uh, going, you know, more the retainer route at that point and, and trying to get away from those. That way with a retainer, you'll be able to have that type of access and it's very structured and that's something that I got from, you know, at that last podcast we were on with Mike Vulcan, I think, you know, we kind of briefly chatted about that. And that was something that, you know, just instantly clicked the minute we had that brief inter exchange. But, um, you know, all that gray area time where it's just a mismatch of expectation between you and a client. And, you know, it just it, it leads to like kind of weird resentment sometimes or like some kind of mismatch of expectation that, that just kind of boils over at a certain point for you or them. So it just made a lot of sense, I think, to, to kind of cut that out. So 
I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Yeah, the the retainer idea is interesting because most of the time, at least when I've done retainers, I I basically said, look, you get so many hours per month, use it or lose it, right? Um, I rarely let it roll over, and even then, I limit it. But then what happens is it's like, you know, I'll email them a week before the end of the month. Hey, um, you know, you've got four hours left. Uh, is there something you want me to work on? Or do you, you know, do you want to spend the time on a call and I can help you with some other technology uh, strategy or things like that? And, and in that case, then I don't mind the meeting going long because they've paid for the time. And so it, it's a different argument there than it is when it's, okay, well, you just spent two hours making me explain the same thing six times. You got to pay for that time. Oh, for sure. That's something that I actually have been working through is just offering, you know, two levels. So, you know, in line with that expectation thing, that's, that's the big thing with me. I want to communicate exactly what I'm going for. And so when I talk with these people, I want to give them, I, I have a couple clients that I know are going to, they were, they were early on clients of mine and they're kind of budget conscious. So I want to give them an option, but I also want to say, Hey, you know, going forward, this is how we're going to interact. Right. And I want to give them a lower price option with, you know, considerably less access to, you know, direct time that they're able to pull me out of something else. Right. So they'll be able to ask questions and we'll resolve things, but that's going to be kind of like selling the sawdust. Right. It's, it's the time in between. Uh, whereas the higher paying clients are going to be able to access my time and pull me away and, you know, schedule time in advance. But uh, no, that's definitely something I just think it's very interesting because this, those expectations, especially early on, I found this especially true, is that as you go through and get better clients, you don't necessarily want to make it difficult for your original, you know, clients that enabled you to, you know, be successful. You don't want to let them go. But at the same time, you have to set realistic expectations of, hey, you know, this is kind of what's happening. It's the raise your rates thing to, you know, on one hand, but it's also the, the expectations of your relationship. Now that you're getting busier, you know, that you have to set those boundaries up, right? I find that the account management side of things is one of the hardest parts when you're doing fixed price work, because in advance, when you're um, sending out quotes, you don't know just how chatty someone is. And so you don't know if this is going to be one of those clients from hell that sends you 20 emails a day or someone that calls you every five minutes. Not that many are like that, but um, on the other hand, you can get clients that are really laid back and just say, yeah, that's all right. You do whatever you want and just check in with us once a month. And you don't really know which one you're getting. Um, And what I find is that you want to be paid for your time to some degree as much as value-based pricing is fantastic, you need to be working with a very large project to necessarily know how much, uh, like to know for sure that your project cost is going to be covering your time. When you're working with smaller projects, you do want to make sure that your time has been covered to some degree. And if you have a client like that, there are times when you do need to turn around and say, all right, you, we, we've actually over-serviced the amount of 
um, time that you would get with, with this particular retainer or this particular project. But I don't like to do it with fixed price projects, but I have done that in the past where I felt that someone was abusing my time. And the way I've got around it is, um, so I'm thinking of one recently where they were on a retainer, but when it comes to a, a digital marketing retainer, it didn't include a fixed number of hours. It was more of a, uh, a, a general scope, like we'll manage your Google ads for you and this is how much it costs per month. But this person was asking for more campaigns than would be reasonable given how much they were paying per month. And in the end, I turned around and I said, look, we've already um, over-serviced you based on what we feel is reasonable. If we were to go ahead with your request, then I personally would be taking a risk. I'd be taking a loss. Uh, I'm not really comfortable to do that. So what I suggest we do, if you're not willing to um, pay more now, is that we set a fixed-term contract. And so we agreed upon a period of time where they would not um, be able to end the contract. Basically, it's a, I guess it, it's, it's almost like a payment plan in a way. They're still paying the same um, monthly retainer, but it's just that we've said it can't end within six months or it can't end within 12 months. And I found that that resolved the issue a little bit without, without upsetting the client too much because they were still paying the same amount per month. But because I am tracking my time and using the time tracking software, I was able to tell that that client was uh, abusing my time more than the others. And I was able to be a bit more firm. And with something like that, I'm not as fearful of them turning around and saying, well, fine, I'm going to leave because ultimately if that client is less profitable anyway, then it's not a big deal if that one leaves because then I can spend my time finding someone more profitable. Exactly. That's something that I've been really cautious with. You know, it's, it's part of the reason that I'm, I'm still doing this side hustle for moonlighting is, is because, uh, you know, if a client comes up like that, I, I want the ability to say, no, thanks. Uh, that's, that's cool that, you know, you think that that amount of work for that amount of money or that amount of value for that amount of money is, is okay, but that's, we're not a good fit. And, you know, I'm just going to say no. Uh, the first couple clients I had, it was like so difficult because I wanted to get my first paycheck, but the first couple clients, they, they were just, you know, we just didn't jive well. And it seemed like they were just trying to find the cheapest person. And, you know, I just decided I want to be able to say no. And you, know, when you have clients like that, I think that when you do have that big of a mismatch of expectation, you know, you really have to weigh, is this person and, and the potential clients I could meet with the time, it, you know, like you're spending time with them. You're not finding other clients. You're not doing other things. So is this time actually worth it? Uh, you know, even if you're getting, you know, billings out of it, you, I, I think there's a real cost there that you have to take into account. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv jobbook. That's devchat.tv jobbook.
Yeah, I guess I, the only thing I would add there is like I, th- I have a little. I have a. I guess you guys may have this similar perspective, but maybe it's somewhat unique. Like I, I started out moonlighting as a marketing person. I was a commercial lender working at a bank, and at night I would do, I would do like marketing services, and so I, I've experienced that side of trying to bill for my time, and then running running the SaaS business, I often use freelancers for projects. And that, I mean, at first I would say, I, I certainly, I think I treat freelancers fair and, and well, just in general, but I struggle with like the appropriate structure of doing fixed based projects versus time-based projects. Um, and I think part of it is because the challenge of like, for if I, like, like the retainer example that you gave, where let's say I have 20 out, like, what well, for software development, for example, if I'm, I have a large project, that's usually uh, a project and we go through an estimate on time and then agree on the project overall, but I'm not getting, I'm not like seeing an invoice for like how many hours each time, just part of the project is billed over the, the time of the project. But then when that, now the project's done and I just want a retainer for ongoing feature development, the challenge for me on that as the person paying for that is like it's my own time management challenge which is i want to be constantly developing features and that puts the onus on me to like make sure i'm using those hours every month and if i'm running a small business and i'm doing a thousand things it i you know i struggle with it because i i don't i can't say that i'm always <laughs> being super efficient with my time and doing everything that i need to and i find my i don't want to put myself in a position like Chuck said where it's like the end of the month and I haven't, I haven't uh, done what I needed to do to give the spec to the software development firm. And it's not the software development firms. I just, I don't want to put them in or, or me in that position where we, I feel like they obviously don't feel great about getting a retainer for not doing work. Maybe they do, but they probably don't. They want to provide value. Um, so the, I don't know, from a, the buyer's perspective, that's why I struggle sometimes with the retainer. I think that's the really notoriously difficult thing about software development is like the estimation and the actual work can, I mean, there are so many unknowns depending on what sure. tech stack you're working on and all that. So I definitely get that. That's, that's good. You know, and I, I hired a, a couple freelancers uh, over the past few months and it is absolutely nerve wracking the first time you do it and you're paying somebody hourly. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have an established relationship there. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just, it's funny to me because it, with software development, especially you're working through all the different issues as they come up, you're doing all this stuff. There are so many unknowns. And, you know, if, if you have the project people, if they're the ones, whoever's estimating it really should ultimately be the one accepting the risk for whether it goes, you know, well, really well or really poorly, right? So if you as a software developer, are estimating the project and you go way under and especially in a competitive bid situation you go way under then you know you end up charging them an extra 30 to 50 percent they're going to be like well you initially said that it was only going to be so many hours and you're like well i had no idea you guys had all this spaghetti code under the hood and all that you know there's just so many precarious situations you can get into there when you're when you're estimating so I think whoever's doing the estimating should ultimately, you know, be willing to accept the responsibility of that. But it does, that puts a lot of pressure and risk on that person. 
right? So if it's you as a professional developer, then I think that, you know, we always, we talked about padding estimates on this show and, and padding the hours and, and trying to make sure that if it does go over, because you kind of know it's going to go over, I mean, that's a really difficult thing. So who's, who's going to take the ball for that? Who's going to, who's going to, you know, just have to eat those hours? Cause it's, at some point, somebody's going to have to give on that. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. We took up our whole time talking about time tracking. Um, it's more fun than you think. <laughs> well, it, it gets complicated because yeah. people are involved, right? If it was just me, it'd be easy, but then somebody else has to give me money for it and it gets, yeah. So, um, anyway, anything else that we should bring up related to time tracking? Maybe we'll have you back on Mark to talk about building a SaaS around a problem like this. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. No, I think, um, I think we dove into a lot of good topics. Um, I think billing is another, like you're usually tack tracking time for billing. I'm, I'd love to get your guys perspective on like things you've learned and like invoicing, like if there's payment types that people really, that you found that really like or payment structures in terms of like, maybe you guys have delved in that to another uh, podcast, but ultimately people are tracking time to get paid. And I'm, I'm kind of curious how freelancers think about that side of things too. I, th I think one thing that I've thought about for, as it relates to time tracking is like, how do we get in the flow of that more? Like if, if ultimately people are tracking time to get paid, why, why shouldn't they get paid in minute seven and how do we enable that um, and make that super easy? Cause I think there's a lot of time tracking software that integrate with other payment products and they can get paid. But if you could, deeply integrate that into a time tracking app where the experience of like moving from timesheet to getting paid is so easy that you could, you could create a lot of value for, for freelancers and professional services. Cause I think that's a little kludgy still when people try to take that time and get paid it, it often goes into other systems and, and gets a little more complicated than maybe it needs to be if it was tightly integrated with the timesheet. Personally, I would not use an invoice feature that's integrated with my timesheet because that would create a higher administrative burden on my bookkeeping. For me, having the invoices tied in with my bookkeeping means that then if someone pays the invoice, it automatically matches with my bank feeds and um, I've got there's, there's basically a button on my bookkeeping software that says match or allocate match in, in the bookkeeping software. So it, it automatically says this invoice is that transaction and it makes it a lot easier when you're dealing with multiple invoices. So for me, if I actually invoiced from the timesheet software, then that would be a manual process of trying to say which client the invoice was for or which invoice number. And I think that would add a lot more time to my bookkeeping process and bookkeeping sucks. <laughs> it's not like someone really wants to be doing that task. So for me, having that side of things get taken off more, taken care of more easily is a higher priority for me than having it integrated with my timesheet. Yeah. I would, I would actually argue Petra that you, those aren't mutually exclusive. Like you could, have payments integrated with your timesheet and still integrate with your bookkeeping software such that 
you wouldn't need to have one or the other um, is, is what I was con- trying to convey. I think there's a way to potentially do that. Uh, but I, I hear what you're saying in terms of like time tracking separate from, or you wanted to go with bookkeeping and invoicing be separate, but there, there may be a way to, to design it such that you, you could still have that really easy to use timesheet, but you could also, I don't know how you're, you're, you're getting paid in a separate system. Maybe that could be one system. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I haven't mapped it all out yet, but I, I think there's an opportunity there for, for someone to figure out how to still keep timesheets really simple to use, but get that payment flow in there for folks where it makes sense. It may not, it may not make sense for your business, but I, I think it does make sense for some subset of small businesses that are, are tracking time to get paid. I have, um, I've used FreshBooks before. Have you looked at FreshBooks at all? Yeah, they have a really good product. Uh, yeah, it's a Canadian, I think, company, but they they have a really easy to use accounting system, and in general, I re- I like their product. Yeah, I've invoiced from them before, and, and actually kept time, but also kept time in another system for some reason. But uh, I've, I've done uh, I've used FreshBooks, and that was pretty easy to make an invoice, you know, real quick. Yeah, I haven't kinda, looked at them in a while. I should look at that again. It's a good product. Yeah, I use them to invoice um, my sponsors. Though um, I am tempted to move it over to QuickBooks. I've I've used that in the past for invoicing, so it's just figuring out which way I want to go. But I haven't had a strong reason to move one way or the other. Yeah, that's another weird thing. I don't think QuickBooks in general like has invested a lot in the invoicing features. Like it's still it feels very stagnant to me. Yeah. Um, not my favorite, but it works. Yeah, but I think it's true of a lot of like for you would think most accounting systems would invest in their invoicing functionality, but it doesn't seem to get as much attention as you might expect. Does QuickBooks allow you to pay? Do they have a credit card um, feature yes. that lets people pay? Yeah, okay, because that's what I find convenient about. In in addition to being able to match invoices with my bookkeeping with with a one click functionality, I find it really good having a pay direct button where someone can just pay by credit card. Even though I do have to pay the credit card fee, the fact that they are paying off the invoice means that I get paid faster. And so there's less chasing people up. And the last thing that I want to do is have to call up my client and say, Hey, you haven't paid. (laughs) I hate those calls. I really hate them. So anything that makes it easier for them to pay me is well worth it in my opinion. Yeah. FreshBooks is the same way. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, Mark, I don't know if you uh, caught what picks are, but essentially we just pick stuff we like that makes our life better. So books, TV shows, tech tools, business tools, whatever. Um, Brooks, why don't you start us off with picks? Um, Yeah, I'll pick, uh, I pick this on Ventures in Angular, but I'll pick uh, forestry.io. Had some trouble with uh, setting up a new theme, and Frank at Forestry really helped me out. Um, you know, did fix it for me and showed me how to fix it in the future, which is uh, which was great. Yeah, we use Forestry at DevChat. I think I mentioned that on the other show too. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Way to go, Frank. Um, Brad, what are your picks? Yeah, so I have a couple uh, like low tech ones. I've actually been super, super like crazy excited about the new James Bond movie coming out and uh, shortly. So 
I'm a huge James Bond fan, so I'd recommend uh, Ian Fleming's James Bond books. The books uh, are just amazing. They're really quick reads. Uh, I can go through one, you know, if I go on vacation, I'll take them to the beach and I'll get through a book. But they're great reads, great action-packed books, and, and they just take your mind off stuff. And then the other pick is, um, you know, just uh, take a break. <laughs> I got, uh, I don't know if it's like seasonal affective or I've just been burned out lately or whatever it is, but I've been just, you know, burning the candle at both ends and it finally caught up with me and I had to take a break and just chill out. But, you know, especially with season changes on, just make sure you're taking a break, checking in with yourself and taking care of yourself. Nice. I wish I could do that. <laughs> Sorry. Petra, what are your right? It's always crazy. I know. So I've got a three-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. And one of the ways that I've been hanging out with them recently is I uh, subscribe to Disney Plus. Now, I'm not sure if that's in the US as well or if that's just oh, here. Yeah, oh, it's here. That's, that's, yeah, okay. So I subscribe to Disney Plus and we've just been going through Disney movies and I'm, I'm finding it so much fun because the, like the old ones, especially like we watched Lady and the Tramp like last weekend and just seeing the culture difference between the 1950s compared to today, it's so fun, but it's movies that I grew up with and we've been really enjoying it. We also watched, um, so we've watched a whole bunch of like Goofy and, you know, Donald Duck and, um, you know, Lady and the Tramp and Sleepy Beauty, but we also watched um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I, I must admit, I <laughs> just had such a laugh because I haven't seen that in ages. And um, like some of these movies, they're just, they're just old classics that when you see them, they make you smile. So I, I really enjoyed that actually. Nice. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll throw out some picks as well. So um, you mentioned Disney Plus. I wasn't going to pick this, but um, a, cl a classic favorite of ours. And my kids range from 14 all the way down to four. And so, um, you know, different stuff that they're liking on there. But one show that my wife and I got way into on Disney Channel when we were first married, before our kids were really old enough to watch it, is Kim Possible. And uh, so I'm going to pick that. It's, it's a terrific show. Um, I'm also going to pick really quickly, um, on audible. I found, I found, I don't remember how I ran across this. I think they were trying to push it out or something, but anyway, uh, they, they had the Chronicles of Narnia, like all seven books in one audio for one credit. And so I picked it up and, uh, the first book is read by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, the seventh book is read by Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, all of the books are read by a different actor and so far the narration has been awesome and um, I've really been enjoying it. Um, now, the entire series is as long as the audio for one book by Brandon Sanderson, but, uh, you know, so I figure, yeah, it's kind of the same, but I've really, really enjoyed those. So if that's a book series that you've enjoyed, um, I've actually read it to my kids yeah, go check that out on Audible. Um, I usually put books and I'm like, I put the Amazon link in, but this is specifically the audio and I, I'm really, really loving it. And then the last thing that I'm going to pick is I am playing with doing some uh, remote conferences again. I haven't done these in a few years, 
but um, people started talking about coronavirus or COVID-19, and then they started talking about how they didn't actually want to go and physically have to not shake hands with other people. And then a bunch of people who had gone to the remote conferences in the past were like, um, can we have some? So I'm putting some together. So if you go to devchat.tv slash conferences, um, I should have the conferences up. I will have um, calls for proposals. In the past, I've done it both ways. I've, I've let people submit talks and I've just invited people. Um, I think I'm going to open it up and, and let people submit talks. So if you're interested in speaking, you can go and submit. Um, and then the tickets, what I think I'm going to do is uh, the first 50 tickets will be $10. The next 50 tickets will be $15 and then $20. And then everybody else will be $25. So um, if you want to get in early, uh, that's where you check it out. You can also follow me on Twitter and I'll tweet about them when I get them launched. Um, so anyway, the first one's probably going to be JavaScript sometime in May. So there's your time frame. And uh, yeah, I may cool. as well plug what I'm working on, right? Uh, Mark, what are your picks? Yeah, so I'm actually, I think I'm piggyback on, on Brad who was talking about uh, take care of yourself. So I have two picks. One, uh, I go on daily like 20-minute walks. <laughs> um, and I live in uh, Chicago and the Chicago suburbs. And it, I, some of that seasonal stuff that uh, he mentioned, I think, uh, affects me as well. So I, I really, like my schedule is usually like get out, Get in, I have three young children, but I, I get into the office, I work the morning, and then I'll eat some lunch, and then after lunch, I go for a 20-minute walk. And I started that probably in the last six months, and I've, I really get a lot of benefit from it. Like uh, today, when you're constantly staring at a screen or looking at your phone, there's something about walking <laughs> without any distractions that uh, is really nice. Um, for for people that I guess are feeling that way this time of year here in the northern United States or northern hemispheres, the uh, I think walking is a is a, uh, an old thing, but it it sort of feels new to me again because I, I haven't done that in a while, just going on walks. So I would encourage people to, to do that. Uh, and the second thing I'm going to pick is uh, it sort of has the uh, the narrative is like the suburbs are boring, but I moved to the suburbs recently and I'm really uh, liking it. So I, my tips or picks for a suburb are find a suburb that, that has a lot of things and it's tied to my walking, but find a lot of things that you can walk to. So I live in a suburb where uh, we can walk to the library. My kids can walk to school. I can walk to restaurants. Um, we can walk to the train. Um, my wife and I only have one car between us. I, I very rarely drive. So I think some of the things, the benefits that people uh, associate with city living, like the ability to walk to a bunch of places you can achieve with the suburbs, but also get some of the benefits of more space when you have young kids. And so, yeah, fine. don't, don't write off the suburbs. If you, if you feel like you're uh, leery of the suburbs, there are some that, that have some, some nice things and you can uh, achieve some of your city benefits living in the suburbs. Nice. I have a brother that lives up there in the Chicago area. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, one last thing. Uh, if people want to find you online, Mark, uh, where do they best do that? Uh, you can email me at mark at minute7.com. Um, my Twitter handle is just at Mark Summy. Um, either one of those. Uh, I'd be happy to chat about all things time tracking uh, or entrepreneurial or SaaS related stuff. All right, good deal. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming and talking to us. Yeah, nice to meet you all. Hope you have a, a great day and thanks for having me on. Yep. Max out, everybody. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.